Welcome to a very special draft video. I am Ryan Kennedy. I am joined by Eric Weissman from the Los Angeles Kings, a pro scout who also spent a decade as an amateur scout with the Buffalo Sabres. Eric was kind enough to join us here, and we're going to talk about all things draft. Uh, first of all, Eric, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. Really looking forward to joining you. Appreciate it. Definitely. So first question, how did you get into scouting? I, something that a lot of people want to get into, I'm sure, at the NHL level. What was your path? Yeah. Uh, so I went to school for sport management at uh, Cortland State. It's a New York State school, kind of right between Syracuse and Ithaca, around Cornell, that area. Uh, studied sport management, you know, always knew I wanted to work in front office operations. Um, uh, in, in the NHL. That was the goal. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, have an opportunity for an internship at the time with the Buffalo Sabres. Um, I was part of my sport management degree was I was, you know, really getting a feel for video at the time. Technology was different. It wasn't as robust as it is today. It was a little new back then. This is proud 2006 and I became really just you know comfortable with a uh, sports code which is still around today and uh you know with an internship was able to assert myself that way just really you know basic stuff uh that summer breaking down clips uh advanced scouting clips for the coaching staff doing a little just uh you know maintenance uh the, the labor side of um you know breaking down pro video um, and that was kind of my first, you know, uh, foray into it. Uh, I went back for, you know, I had one more year at school and I kind of jammed as much as I could into that fall semester. I think I took like 21 credits or something crazy um, because I had a sense that there might be an opportunity um, to kind of come back and join Buffalo and, and you know, extend what I had been doing. Um, and so after that, you, you know, I, I went back, I took those last couple of courses online while starting with Buffalo and I was really just a graduate assistant, you know, basically, a, you know, same as an intern um, getting paid, you know, an hourly rate. And I continued with the video and, and from there, uh, you know, I introduced it, you know, I, I moved primarily up to the front office. Uh, Darcy Regeer was the general manager at the time. Uh, Kevin Devine was running the amateur scouting department. Uh, and John Cristiano was running the pro side. And, uh, you know, a lot of those guys were really good in, in giving me opportunity. Um, this was kind of pre uh, um, the Pagula family buying the team. So, you know, there weren't as many resources. It was a lot of doing more for less. So the ability to introduce video, you know, kind of opened that up and, and there was an opportunity from there. Um, from there, you know, in, in 2007, going into 2008, uh, I really switched my focus into the amateur side. Um, we had scouts all over the, you know, the globe and, and this whole concept of video, which was pretty new back then, uh, in some sense, allowed us to, you know, be able to compare prospects, you know, to, you know, uh, our Swedish scout who has a guy on his list to the Ontario League scout without having necessarily to spend that money, which was limited to, to you know, fly all over that could be kind of costly. Um, and at the time, you know, that was something that, um, you know, we had to look out for. So there was a room and, and from there, uh, you know, I went from being that coordinator role to in addition to the video, doing all the day-to-day -day operational stuff, um, you know, a lot of the administrative stuff, um, uh, just nine to five scheduling meetings, doing expenses for the team, uh, running meetings, um, breaking down video, of course, uh, and, and, you know, maintaining that video archive, making that video accessible and organized so we could kind of draw the most information out of it. Um, from there, I slowly started, you know, doing more and more live scouting. Growing up in Buffalo and being based in Buffalo, I had access to Southern Ontario. So I started really, 
taking in a lot more OHL games. I used to travel with Yuri Himalev in the beginning quite a bit, just kind of, um, you know, tagging along with him and, and his coverage and some of the other scouts uh, started getting more introduced into the USHL, college hockey, that sort of thing. Uh, fast forward a little bit, Tim Murray uh, then came in shortly after the Pagula family acquired the team. Uh, we had a lot more resources then. Um, the staff expanded quite a bit, and uh, Tim gave me an opportunity to really just focus on the U.S. amateur side, at which point I delegated a lot of those coordinator duties to other people, and I moved from Buffalo to Chicago to be a full-time scout out in the field covering the U.S. out of Chicago. Um, from there, you know, the regime came in again, and, you know, unfortunately, this is about 10 years, you know, into my role there with Buffalo, things had changed, as, as sometimes they, they do, and, um, but I was lucky enough to uh, join with Los Angeles and, and a new role, this time on the pro side, so that's the, uh, the concise version, or as concise as I could make it, I guess. Excellent, and when it came to your first draft experience, what sticks out to you? What was that first draft like? Yeah, so that first draft would have been 2008. It was in Ottawa. Uh, we had two first round picks and uh, we picked Tyler Myers with the first one. We moved up one spot um, uh, to secure him. And uh, yeah, I can get into that a little bit. You know, with building the list, you have certain drop off points in groups where, and I think a lot of teams um, and independent scouts use this method too, is you have your first round players and you really develop thresholds of, of, you know, what is this player going to be at the NHL level and where does that group drop off? So, you know, if there is a chance to move up, when does it become worth it for you to do so? So Myers was in that first group, uh, you know, relative to the next group after him. So it was important for us to move up. And I definitely remember that, that, you know, was a lot of excitement. We had a second pick in that first round. It was 26 overall. And we selected Tyler Ennis out of medicine hat. Uh, it was a real dynamic skilled player um smaller so with those two picks you know we were able to kind of go after the guy we knew we wanted and then another player that you know maybe you know was undersized at the time but had high upside in our eyes uh, to kind of roll the dice a little bit um and the other thing that really i think being bewildered in that first draft that i wasn't ready for was how quickly it moves. Um, obviously the first round takes a lot of time and you know there's commercial breaks and media breaks and that sort of thing. But um, you know, rounds two through seven, it's a whole body of work, the draft. And you guys know this too. You have your own coverage and, and get really in depth. Um, and then that second day it goes so quick. Totally. Um and just because a player is picked in the fourth or fifth round, you know, it, it's not insignificant to the scout, you know, a, a name will come up and you'll say, wow, you know, another team picked this guy. I spent two, three weeks or, you know, three or four trips. Maybe I flew and drove through a snowstorm to go see this guy play. Maybe I missed New Year's Eve. Um, it's a sacrifice and, and in that to get that whole body of work in, in a season. And then, you know, within two and a half minutes, you know, it goes team to team, his name is called and you know, he's out of the picture. So uh, it's a big buildup, you know, for those two days, it's super exciting. But yeah, it was it was a little bit like after that second day was over, I was like, wow, like, you know, kind of a what now feeling. Uh, so that took a little getting used to. For sure. And speaking of the draft itself, when you're at the team table, how does it function? What's the sort of just, you know, yeah, push and pull of it all? 
Yeah, uh, you know, I can't speak for every team um, and I, I can't speak for our team right now as I'm on the pro side. I'm not part of the amateur group, um, but, you know, I think generally time is really split between that first round. You know, you could say it's 50-50 and 50% and that first round and 50% rounds two through seven. Obviously, you know, we've all seen the numbers and the drop off points and the probabilities of players being selected in their, that round and their likelihood of them to develop into an NHL player. So, you know, it does make sense that you're going to allocate a lot of those time and resources into your uh, higher picks in the first round and the second round. Um, so, you know, that first day of, of round one, it's kind of, you know, it's led a lot by leadership, um, even ownership. Uh, you know, the GM is front and center in, in that decision. It's a, it's a, a crucial decision. You know, the GM, the head scout, um, wherever that player might be coming out of, the head scout knows to assert that regional scout when you need to get to the nitty gritty granular details of the reports of, of what the player is going to be. Um, but really, it's all hands on deck. Everyone from the scouts to the owners are kind of keyed in on that concise group of names that you might have a chance to pick in that first round. Uh, and then, you know, I think, you know, in that second day rounds two through seven, it really becomes up to, you know, I felt that the head scout has to have a feel for his staff. And, and, you know, I think every team would admit that you want to go in knowing what to expect. You want to have a short, concise list, list that's impactful rather than, hey, this guy's available. Let's, is he better than this guy? You got to have those conversations in advance. Uh, I personally feel that the more, you know, ready to go your list is, the more of a game plan is, you know, I just think a higher likelihood for success. Um, so I would say that second day rounds two through seven, where you could still really, you know, we kind of joke and say that's where the scouts really make their money. And that's where you cash in and, and uh, assert yourself and really leave your fingerprints on an organization. You know, if you could get a player, in the third, fourth, fifth round, it's huge. We all know that, you know, acquiring skill is very tough to do in this league. It's very tough to make trades, um, you know, uh, in the salary cap era too. And uh, so really your, your main chance to acquire that top line skill, you know, top six or top four D um, is through the draft. So to be able to get those guys outside of the first round, if you have scouts that are able to identify those players and go in with that game plan, it's huge. And you see the teams today that have set themselves up for a long time have, have always been leaders in that area. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of split in that, in that role, but you know, each day is super exciting for those different reasons. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of players, you know, going back to your time on the amateur side, is there a player that you remember sort of speaking up on or stepping up for that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, you know, it's always a group effort. Um, you know, it's a whole body of work. But one guy, you know, we took him, uh, you know, in the fourth round, Will Borgen. Uh, who's with Seattle now. Um, and and the, the, the reason that was unique for me is because he came out of Minnesota high school. Um, and, you know, they have it split up between large school and small school. And he played uh, for Moorhead, which That's is right fun. on the Fargo-Moorhead, North Dakota border. Um, and, and like any player, you know, you watch them, these high school guys, and you know this, it's it's a balance. You know, the, if, if you're a prospect and you're playing high school hockey, a lot of times you're going to dominate, you're going to stand out um, and you have to uh, kind of be able to project, well, what is he going to look like against 
you know, his peers playing in other leagues in junior hockey, even in college in the, in the Canadian major juniors. Um, sure. He's great in public high school, but we expect that. Um, so I think, you know, with every young kid in the draft, you're always projecting with the high school players. It's, it's quite the projection. Um, uh, so we, we watched them, you know, to start the year was they do that Minnesota elite league. Um, I'm not sure you're familiar a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they kind of break it down. You have the Twin Cities kids versus, you know, the Mankato area in southern Minnesota off to the Great Plains up closer to North Dakota. So Borgen played on that Great Plains team. First time I saw him was in that elite league. Caught my eye. Um, just, you know, athleticism, his innate ability to defend, move the puck well. Um, you know, it was it was pretty apparent for him to stand out in that league. You know, watched him in high school a little bit in Moorhead. You know, the, every time I went in to see him play, you know, I came out thinking, you know, this guy has a chance to be a player, uh, learned more about him, you know, did a lot of the off ice, you know, information, you know, working hand in hand with the Minnesota guys that were, you know, living there, um, our, our scouts that are up in Minnesota that really knew him, knew the coaches. So again, you know, I talk about this body of work, it's it's really balancing everything, the viewings between the levels, uh, the background information, uh, even, you know, analytics, you know, starts to play into it. Um, even though it's sometimes tougher with these high school guys as the, the available statistics aren't as robust as, you know, maybe a junior league. Um, but what really stands out for me is um, in the, he, uh, after the high school season, he had a chance to play in Waterloo. And uh, rather than just joining Waterloo in the beginning, he was, he was, um, I'm sorry, not Waterloo, it was uh, Omaha. And um, uh, he would go up for the weekends and play. Uh, so usually these high school players, when they join the USHL team, it can be a slow transition. And I mean, you know, uh, you know, these USHL teams, they've already been have 60 games under their belt. It's now the stretch. It's now getting into the playoffs, the end of the season. And yeah, no, and, um, I went in and I would see Omaha play Waterloo and Brock Besser was on Waterloo. Tommy Novak, who's a good American league player was on Waterloo. And, and not only did Borgen, um, fit in and keep up but he matched up against those guys pretty well too and and i'm thinking wow you know this is you know there wasn't much of a learning curve you know between high school hockey and now some of the most competitive hockey junior hockey in the u.s uh and then um another thing i remember is uh, uh the omaha was playing the u.s development team as the sometimes do uh, later in the season and uh tim murray our gm was with me he, he flew in uh or he came into uh, Ann Arbor and, and a lot of scouts, there were probably 20 head scouts, 25 head scouts at the game that night, maybe five or six GMs, because, you know, it's a chance to see a team from Nebraska and you don't have to travel all the way out there. You can just catch them in, in Detroit. Um, and Borgen, uh, I think right off the opening draw, I can't remember if it was a goal against or just a chance against, but, you know, just turn the puck right over. Um, I, I would have to look to see who's on that development team, but they walked right in alone. And, and I remember Tim just kind of like, he, he understood, but he's looking at me like, this is your guy. And, uh, yeah. so of course, you know, um, just, uh, sometimes not, you know, and that just kind of goes to this thing I talk about. It's a body of work. It's like you can't take every guys are going to turn the puck over. They're going to have gaffes in their game. Um, it doesn't define them. And it certainly doesn't define their play throughout a whole season. Um, but, 
you know, that's where your information needs to be robust and, and on point and the reporting there. Because the GMs, they, they might catch the guy for one game, two games. They might see some video. The head scouts, they're covering everywhere. So they might only come in for one or two games. But, you know, I've been watching this guy all year. So despite that, you know, costly turnover, I still knew that he was a good player. Um, our Minnesota scout spoke highly of him, too. You know, so we kind of tag team that going into the meetings. Um, and, yeah, and I remember we took him. Uh, you know, there were other good major junior guys on the board, you know, right next to his name. So it was a guy that we kind of had to stand up and, and make a case for. Um, but I was confident and I was confident in his compete level, his athleticism, uh, his ability to move the puck. So from there, I saw an NHL dimension and, uh, you know, he came to Buffalo. I thought he had a really strong camp. I think a lot of people, he left camp, that development camp, I should say. And, and a lot of people that might not have known him said, wow, you know, he, he fit right in. He skated well. And then from there, uh, went on to St. Cloud, uh, made the world junior team that year too, which I think was, you know, exceeding expectations in some of our views and has gone on to be a pretty good player. And, uh, so, yeah, so that's just one that kind of sticks out in my mind. Nice. And, you know, you mentioned analytics at one point. How has that field changed scouting in the past five, 10 years? Yeah, uh, I think it's huge. I mean, I think I like to think, you know, in my own opinion, that the, the best members of any team's leadership really have a great balance between, you know, I guess what you, you know, traditional scouting and 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 marrying that together with analytics and knowing when and where to assert that knowing when to let analytics and your 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 data people take the lead and when to you know let the traditional eye test or video kind of take the lead but it always supplements each other um and i think in the beginning i can remember when you know analytics was really just you know it, it was supplementary and now it seems like every team has really invested a lot into building out that department and making it, you know, a stable part of hockey operations across the board. And I'm a you know, firm believer that it's got to be, um, you know, there's a lot of just incredibly smart people that have a lot to add. Um, and with that, also video has become more accessible. Um, I remember in the beginning of my career, you know, some of the grunt work I had to do was actually filming games when, you know, you, you would email coaches asking for video. It was tough to nail down. Sometimes you actually have to get out there with the camera yourself. But what I mean is when you can marry together stats and analytics with what you're seeing in the video, it really helps make that case and bring it full circle. And now you have things like, you know, sport logic and Instat and, and you don't need to go out and film games and it's just all right there at every level. Um, and, and, you know, our analytics department doesn't, you know, and a lot of teams are able to really, you know, put a timeline of those events um, to their reporting. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is, you know, but besides it being just numbers, you're able to actually see the hockey along there with it. And I really think that that paints, you know, a really, uh, a really good picture and just, you know, helps, you know, people like me that don't have that analytical background, you know, make sense of it all. And, um, but yeah, it's been really exciting since it's become kind of a permanent fixture in, in every team's operation. Excellent. And just to wrap up, what is the post-draft collapse like for a scout? Yeah. Like once the weekend is over, uh, or in this case, a Thursday, Friday, how much like recovery time do you need? 
Well, I don't know how many people know this, but there is a little bit of a race after the draft. It doesn't end after the seventh round because most teams have development camp and some teams are, are more aggressive than others. And uh, you'll hear about how players are invited to these development camps as kind of free looks. You know, they weren't drafted, but hey, yeah, you know, you're more than welcome to skate with us for five, six days, be a rostered player at our development camp. It may go somewhere, it may not, but, um, you know, uh, and and that that top group of players that, hey, they didn't get drafted, let's get them to our camp. A lot of that work is sometimes done before the draft too. And it's a tough balance because you don't know if the guy's going to be drafted or not, or what he's thinking or what his family's thinking or what the agent has in store. Um, so that's where those relationships really come into play. Whereas, hey, we can secure and have this guy as a rostered player at our development camp. We have room for him. We'd like him to come, but maybe spoken for already. Maybe another team has already done that work and got it out in front of you. So like you have a list for the draft, you might have a list for players you'd like to bring in. Um, and if you haven't done that work beforehand, it can be a bit of a scramble after the draft. I remember... You know, right after the draft ends, you know, you're usually in the suite. A lot of the players in those mid to late round picks, some that are there might be up there with their families. There's usually spreads of food. There's drinks up there. It's a nice time to kind of unwind. But if you're the coordinator or if you're, uh, you know, one of the head scouts or something, you might be working the phones and finding out and, and working with your development guys of, hey, how much room do we have? Can we bring this guy in? Can we call this guy? Has his agent called back? You know, is he coming? Is he not? Um um, and, and so there is that little bit of a scramble and that can usually lead right up until development camp. And, and, and it happens so quick too. a lot of, you know, I think every team likes to fit their camp in like pretty within the next two or three days after the draft. Um, yeah. um, so yeah, it, it doesn't, so you, you do have that to think about, but kind of just overall, yeah, like I said earlier, it's a little bit of like anticlimactic in the sense of like, wow, you know, we just poured our whole year into all this work. Um, you know, usually USA hockey now has that their their US um under 17 camp where they pick the Ivan Holinka team from. That's usually right following the draft. So there's a short window for a breather, but I feel you know, there's not a lot of time. Usually you're you're thinking ahead to the next year, like pretty immediately. Wow. There you go. So no rest for the scouts. Well, <laughs> Eric, thanks so much for this. This has been awesome. Really appreciate your time and thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ryan. Hope to see you in Montreal. Indeed.